Good morning, church family. It is a joy to pray together. Uh, It's always a good reminder when we pray together like that, that we are indeed one body. And it's a joy to pray with brothers and sisters that we haven't met before and get to know them a little bit uh, and realize that we are one in Christ. So we have been studying a series on the church these past few weeks, if you've been with us. So far, we've talked about what is the church and we defined what the church is. Then Pastor Austin led us through, what is the mission of the church? Where are we going? What has God called us to do as a church? Pastor Jeremy took us through, what are the ordinances of the church? What does the church practice? Baptism and the Lord's Supper. We defined, why do we practice those things as a church? Why are they important and necessary and good for us? And last week, Pastor Brian answered the question for us, what is church membership? He answered that question by saying it's a public commitment to a local church for discipleship and accountability. This morning, we're going to dig deeper into that answer about what is our role in the church. If a church member is someone who makes a public commitment to a local church for discipleship and accountability, how do we fulfill that role? How do you and I How do we go about fulfilling that role, that commitment to discipleship and accountability in the church? So we're going to answer that question this morning. What is the role of church members? And if you are a member here, you have made this commitment. This morning will be a good reminder of what that commitment entails. How are we doing with that commitment that we have made? But this message, this passage for us this morning, this question before us is not just for church members, it's for anyone who's a believer. Anyone who calls Riverstone Church their home church as a regular attendee is involved in serving. Our passage for us this morning is going to be Romans 12. We're going to use Romans 12 to guide us through this this answer. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward and pass out Bibles. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the church. We thank you that you designed the church, that it's Jesus' body and he is the head of the church. We pray at Riverstone that we would never forget that, that we would remember he is our Lord and our teacher and our master, and we would be faithful to serving his body, to serving one another in the church. As your word goes out this morning, may your spirit Open our ears, our eyes, and our hearts. Soften our hearts. Help us to respond in faith and obedience as we see the beauty of the church this morning and what our role is, what you've called us to in the church. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward and pass out Bibles. If you do not have a Bible, please raise your hand. Feel free to keep this Bible, take it home. We want to be uh, faithful stewards of God's word and knowing his word. Because we're picking up in the middle of a book, and we're not doing an exposition on the book of Romans, it's always helpful just to get a little bit background of where we are at, right, in a book before we start trying to interpret the passage. So Paul is the author of Romans, and he's writing this letter to the churches in Rome. There could have been one church, several churches, but we know that they were most likely meeting in houses. They would have been churches meeting in houses, The church of Rome would have been made up of both Jewish and Gentile believers. That's important. You're going to want to hold on to that for a few minutes. And Paul, 
has been outlining the gospel for them. He starts the letter by saying, I'm eager to come to you, believers, and preach the gospel. Believers, we need the gospel regularly. He outlines how every man and woman is under sin, under God's wrath, under his condemnation, that all of us, without Christ standing before God, our mouths are stopped and we're held accountable for our sins. But Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins. He came and took the wrath that we deserve. He took our sins upon himself. And we learn that our God is a God that justifies the ungodly, the one who puts his or her faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And as believers, we have peace with God. We rejoice in God, even in our suffering, in tribulations. Even as we walk about this Christian life on earth, wrestling and fighting against our sin, we are no longer condemned. And it's because of this mercy, now Paul is going to be appealing to them on how to live out the gospel. So that's where we've been, that's where Paul is in Romans and where we're picking up. So I'm going to start by reading the first two verses of Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So Paul is now calling them to action. Present yourselves to God. Why? Because of his mercies. Because of what he's done for you. This isn't payback, Paul says. It's, it's rational. It's the rational response of believers who have been saved by grace, who have been counted righteous in Jesus Christ to give themselves fully to God. So Paul is encouraging them, appealing to them, urging them to give themselves to God. It's always good that we lay a foundation before we understand our role. If we want to understand what is our role in the church and how we go about fulfilling that, we have to know what the goal is. What is God after? What does he want? What is he doing in us? I work for a company called Arm & Hammer. I'm sure many of you know our products. We sell baking soda, laundry detergent, toothpaste, and I work in finance there. Now, anytime you apply for a role anywhere, you'll, fill out a, you'll see a job description. It will say roles and responsibilities. And it's telling you what's required of you, what is expected of you as you go to take this job and apply for it. But to faithfully fulfill your roles and your responsibilities, you want to know what's the objectives. So once a quarter, our company meets and we have a town hall. We just met this past Friday. Our CEO takes us through how the company's doing, but he also reminds us of what are our objectives as a company? What are we after? And being a publicly traded company, ours are very financial, but that helps me in my role. When I go to work and I'm working on financials, when I know what the company's objectives are, it helps me better understand and fulfill my role. And that's what Paul is doing here in these first two verses. He's laying down 
a foundation for them, what God wants them to do, and it's to give themselves wholly to him. He uses the term bodies, give your bodies as living sacrifices to God, not dead sacrifices. Jesus died for us. Give your bodies, your lives to God, your hands, your eyes, your feet, your mouths, your hearts. Give it wholly to God. What we do with our bodies matters. In writing to the Corinthian church, Paul told the believers there who were struggling with sexual immorality that their bodies are not their own. They've been bought with a price. They are God's. So because of Jesus, we give ourselves to God. And he describes these living sacrifices as holy and acceptable, set apart. They are God's. How do we go about doing this? How do we go about giving ourselves to God? He gives them two commands, one in the negative and one in the positive. He says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. So the negative is don't be conformed to this world, the customs, the beliefs of this world. One way that this plays out, as we'll see in a few moments, is how we think about ourselves, how we view ourselves. In this world, in our age, the world tells us, I'm the priority of my life. I run my life. I'm in control. Nobody tells me what to do. It's my body. I make the decisions. Thinking like that is being conformed to the world. That's how the world wants us to think. Being conformed to the world is also, if you're young, perhaps it's your friends trying to get you to live the way they live, doing what they want to do. Perhaps it's, it's being conformed at work to prioritize work and money over everything else in life, family, church. These are just some ways we can be conformed to this world. Now, there's debate over how this verb here, this command is written, but I think it's written in the passive, which means you don't have to do a whole lot to be conformed to the world. We're not the primary agents here. The world wants to conform us. It seeks to conform us. Do nothing and you and I will be conformed to the world. That's how it works. And the opposite is to be transformed. If we're not to be conformed to the world, we are then to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Transformed into what, we might ask? Paul said in Romans 8, 29, that those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. God has called us and saved us for the purpose of conforming us to the image of his Son, Jesus. Is there anything better than that? In this world full of sin, fighting against our sins, suffering, God is after making us more like Jesus. That's our calling. That's the goal. And we need to know that 
in order to understand what is our role as a church in doing that. He wants us to be holy, which is just shorthand for becoming more like Jesus. I want to make a few connections here to some past sermons for us. When Austin preached on what is the mission of the church, we read our mission statement, advancing the gospel by making disciples who make disciples. How is the gospel advanced? By making disciples who make disciples. Again, Pastor Brian answered our question on what is church membership. It's a public commitment to a local church for discipleship. What is a disciple? What does that mean? Our church defines a disciple as a forgiven follower of Jesus who is growing to become more like him. That's what we are as disciples. We are forgiven followers of Jesus, and God is after making us more like him. John said it like this, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same manner in which he walked. We know how Jesus walked. We read about his life in the Gospels. And we are to become more and more like him. Well, how does that happen, we ask? How are we transformed? Paul says, by the renewing of our minds. The renewing of our minds. He said this in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That word transformed, again, same verb, same word, also written in the passive. We are called to participate in becoming more like Jesus, but we're not the primary agents of bringing about the transformation The Holy Spirit is at work in us as we see and behold Jesus. Well, what does that look like? How do we see him? How do we behold him? Well, two ways we do that is what we heard Pastor Jeremy preach on. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Two ordinances that verbally and tangibly express the gospel and nourish us in our faith. When we are baptized and we see others baptized, we're seeing the gospel. We're seeing that through faith in Jesus, we have died with him. And we have become new as we are raised out of the water. And as we see it, we're reminded of what Jesus has done for us. As we take the Lord's Supper, we see and we hear the gospel proclaimed. We see the glory of Jesus When those things are happening, the Spirit is at work, transforming us, renewing our minds, making us more like Jesus. And we play a part in that. These are commands written to us to act upon. We have to do things to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. How is that going for us this morning? Sometimes I I ask those who are close to me how their walk with the Lord is going. You know, sometimes when we hear that question, I think we have this tendency to answer by how our devotional life is. 
And there's merit to that. What we do with our Bibles and our prayer life matters. But how our walk with the Lord is encompasses every single area of our lives. Presenting ourselves to God as living sacrifices. How we love our wives and husbands. How we parent our children. How faithful we are at work and at school. So I'll ask you and me this morning, how is your walk with the Lord going? This hits home. This is hard. I'm studying this, and Brant's got some work to do as he studies Romans 12, 1 and 2. I have areas of my life that I keep needing to present to God and be transformed by the renewal of our minds. But as we will see, this is not fully up to us. While we play a role in it, we all play a role in each other's lives. So we're going to move on to verses 3 to 8. Verses 3 to 8. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, as we answer this question, what is our role in the church? I want to draw our attention to two ideas in the text this morning. One is that growing to become more like Jesus happens in the context of the church. And two, every believer has a gift that is to be used and is needed in the church. So let's, let's look at that first one, right? Notice the context in which he's writing this. Paul's, Paul's continuing his flow of thought from verses one to two. And then he's showing them how this renewed mind plays out and he pivots to the church. Notice the among you. If you remember that phrase from Pastor Brian's ser sermon last week, among you, how would they know who's among them? Well, they'd be meeting in a church together as believers. He uses this illustration of the body and connects it to the body of Christ, the church, specifically in using their spiritual gifts. Christianity, being a disciple of Jesus, is not a solo sport. I grew up playing baseball, and you know, when you're, when you're a kid, you fantasize about being the best player, right? You want to be the guy who throws the last strikeout on the World Series or hits the walk-off home run. As I grew older, I really came to appreciate that baseball is a team sport, I learned this when I was in high school. We were a, a decent team, but we weren't the greatest team. We played here. I grew up in Newtown and went to Council Rock. So we were one of the uh, better leagues within Pennsylvania. And that year, my senior year, we placed top eight in the state of Pennsylvania. 
because we were a team. Many of us grew up playing together. We depended on each other. We needed each other. A team that has one really good player does not win, one person does not win championships. Teams win championships. And while we're not after winning the championship, we're after becoming like Jesus, and you cannot do that alone. I cannot do that alone. When we pull ourselves away from the body, away from each other, we stop becoming like Jesus. We stop being transformed by the renewing of our minds. This is how it works in the church. God designed the body to work this way, that transformation happens not by ourselves, but in the church. One commentator said it this way, some might wrongly think of presenting yourselves to God as a living sacrifice, as exclusively an individual activity, but the transformation in verses 12, 1 to 2 happens in the context of the body. Chapter 12, verses 3 and 8. This is how we provoke one another up and stir one another up to good works. Think about that. We help each other become more like Jesus. Which leads us to the second part. Every believer has a gift that is to be used and is needed in the church. Notice Paul's flow of thought, right? He talks about this need to be renewed in their minds and then calls them to not think too highly of themselves, but with sober judgment. That's application. He's showing them what this looks like. Specifically, within their gifts. Within their gifts. Remember I said that the church of Rome would have been made up of both Jewish and Gentile believers. And it seems evident from the book of Romans that there was conflicts amongst them. In part, it might have been how their gifts were, how they were using their gifts, who had better gifts. We certainly saw this in 1 Corinthians. So Paul says, think of yourself with sober judgment, according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. What does he mean by that? Does God assign each of us a different amount of faith? I don't think that's his point here. He goes on in verse 6 to talk about how having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. He's speaking about their gifts. God has assigned each of us gifts, spiritual gifts in the church. He goes on, his, his reasoning for them not thinking too highly of themselves, he uses this illustration, a body. You have one body. I have one body but they're made up of many parts. The adult human body has 206 to 213 bones. There's 600 plus muscles in the human body. The list could go on, and I found this online, by the way, so if you're a doctor, you took anatomy, you can correct me later, but Paul's point is clear. The body is one, but made up of several parts, many parts. And he says, so is the body of Christ. Jesus is the head, the church is his body, and there are many members in the body. God is saving people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. In this room, different ages, some old, some younger, men, women, children, 
We are different, and we have different gifts. And yet, he says, we are individually members one of another. We have a bond together. So while, we're, while we are unique and diverse, there's unity in the body. There's unity and diversity. We don't lose our individuality when we join the body of Christ, when we come to faith in Jesus and believe in him, but we gain each other. We're members one of another. We are a family. And so Paul says we need each other. We have gifts that are needed. Don't think too highly of yourself. If I swapped my arm and my leg, I could not expect myself to walk the same way I'm walking right now. They serve different functions, different purposes, but both are vitally needed. We don't want to think too highly of ourselves or think too lowly of ourselves. We read 1 Corinthians 12 this morning. I'm going to reread a few verses. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. Don't think too lowly of yourself, brother or sister. If you say that because you don't have a certain gift or a certain function, you're not needed, you're not thinking rightly. You're not being renewed in your mind. You are needed. Every one of us here is needed in the body of Christ and belongs. Every one of you belongs here. Don't think too highly of yourself. The eye cannot say the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the feet, I have no need of you. You can't say to another member here, I don't need you. You don't belong here. We need each other. If we didn't have people setting up chairs this morning, how would the church function? If we didn't have, have men and women teaching our children downstairs, if we didn't have men and women serving in the kitchen, handing out Bibles, getting all the sound systems set up, people using their spiritual gifts of serving and teaching, how would the church function? Every part is needed. Have you ever hurt your big toe before? I've hurt my big toe several times. It's amazing, such a small part of the body when hurt. Can't walk hard to balance yourself. Your rest of your body has to compensate just to walk. It's hard. Your big toe is needed. My eye cannot say to my toe, you don't belong, you're not needed. This is how God designed the church, and it's beautiful. Jesus says to no part of his body, I don't need you. I'll trade you for somebody else, someone more gifted. Jesus is saving men and women and children and gifts us by his spirit and is needed and in used in his body in helping us become more like Jesus. 
Do you see the beauty in the church as you look around to the left and right, the people you prayed with this morning? You need each other. You're needed, others need you, and you need others. We are members one of another. At this point, you may be asking, what is a spiritual gift, and how do I know what mine is? How do I use it? I want to say two things that are in our church statement. One, it says, it is important that every Christian be involved in serving God in some significant manner. In order to do this, God has given each believer at least one spiritual gift. As we just read, everyone who is a believer in Jesus has at least one spiritual gift that is to be used to serve. That's your role, part of your role in the body. We define a spiritual gift as a special ability given by the Holy Spirit to every believer for the purpose of serving God in a unique manner. Unity and diversity, uniqueness. Now, we're not going to go into detail on what all the spiritual gifts are this morning because on November 26, Pastor Brian, during both services, is going to be doing a spiritual gifts class. And in that class, Pastor Brian's going to lead us in understanding the importance of spiritual gifts, how to discover your own gifts, and identify services and ministries to exercise your gifts. I would highly encourage you to go. He's doing it during both services. You don't need to go to both. They're going to be the same, but try to at least get to one. I know there's many out there who want to know what their spiritual gift is. They're, they're trying to discern. They want to know. They want to understand. They want to learn. So we would encourage you, go to this class that you would better learn how the Lord has gifted you and how you can perform your role and helping each of us become more like Jesus. You have a gift, and you are a gift from Jesus to the church to help us grow. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is working in and through us and making us more like Jesus. So Paul, in verses 3 to 8, gets very specific on our function in the body. But then in verses 9 to 21, he zooms out. And so we're going to look at some of the verses here. We're not going to cover the whole passage, but I want to point something out here. Notice uh, verse 9, let love be genuine. That is the umbrella verse for the rest of the verses, love. You see the connection there between Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and 13? Many of us are familiar with 1 Corinthians 13. We probably heard it at a wedding. And although it's a great wedding passage, Paul did not write 1 Corinthians 13 as a wedding passage. He wrote it after talking about the spiritual gifts within the Corinthian church, and they were fighting and arguing over which gift is better, which one's more needed. And he reminds them that they need each other. And then he says, pursue a more excellent way which is the way of love. He does the same thing here. He talks about their gifts, their need in the church, and then says, let love be genuine, sincere, without hypocrisy. He's, this is for all Christians, how we live, and love 
is the defining marker of us as Christians. And it's to be sincere. You don't have to be best friends with everybody in the church to love them sincerely. Why? Because we're members of one another. Christ has purchased us and made us one. We belong to him, and by extension, we belong to each other. So we are to love each other sincerely. This made me think about when I was, uh, when I was a little bit younger. I had several different groups of friends. And I had my friends who were my boys, and we did everything together. We were close, we were tight, we did everything together. Then I had a couple other groups of friends, but they weren't really my friends. They were my friends when I wanted them to be my friends. Not because, or they were my friends when I needed them to be my friends, not because I wanted them to be my friends. I didn't really love them sincerely, genuinely. That's a picture here for us. We are to love one another sincerely. And when we, re- when we remember that we are one in Christ and that he is using us to make us more like him, we can love each other genuinely and sincerely. He says uh, that love is to, to, we are to love one another with brotherly affection. He's speaking like a family, brotherly affection. Love each other like your family because you are family. He goes on, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do you know any one-uppers? A one-upper is someone who, when you share a story, they have to come on top and say a better story. You say a funny joke, they got to say a funnier joke. I think we've all experienced people like this in our lives, and they always have to come over the top and say something else. While we're not doing this competitively, the idea is kind of there. Outdo each other in showing honor. Go out of your way to honor others, but do it sincerely. Let love be genuine. Show honor with sincerity. And we can do this. Several months ago, we ended one of our elder meetings, and we just went around and honored each other. Pastor Austin said, let's just go around and, and, and say something about someone that you just want to honor them for doing. It was amazing. There were tears. We love each other. And we can do this. You can honor the couple leading your small group for teaching, hosting, showing hospitality. I just want to honor you and thank you. You can honor those serving in kids' ministry for for teaching our children. You can honor those for setting up chairs, for making sure the sounds, everything at church is working properly. We can do this. We can honor one another. He goes on to say, don't do this slothfully. Don't be lazy, but do it fervently. Serve the Lord. As we serve each other, we are ultimately serving Jesus. We're giving ourselves to him. He talks about how we are to be constant in prayer. We just did that this morning. We prayed together. 
as a body of Christ. Be constant in prayer because there's tribulation, there's suffering in the body. The prayer requests go out. If you're not on the list from the church, contact the office. There's prayer requests going out every week for people asking for prayer, for suffering, for trials. And one way we can love each other and serve each other is by praying for them, praying for one another. Come out to a Monday night prayer night. It's amazing when you get to just sit and pray with brothers and sisters. The one who contributes in generosity. This is an interesting one. He talks about uh, being a contributor as a spiritual gift. And yet we're all called to contribute. Giving is not just for those who have a spiritual gift of giving. It's for all Christians and we are to do it with generosity. As mothers have babies and we give to families when they, when they have a child. We can serve each other. We can do acts of mercy with cheerfulness. As we make meals for those who are in need. As we come alongside to help one another out in life. These are all ways that we get to love each other. He calls them to live in harmony with one another. We prayed for that this morning. That we would have unity in the church. Being conformed to the world says my way is right and if you don't agree with me, we don't love each other. I cannot love you if you take that view. Now, while we certainly need to have unity over the gospel in the church, there are times where we might disagree over certain things, but we can still have harmony. We can still walk in unity and love with one another. All of these ways are how we can go about fulfilling our role in the church and helping one another become more like Jesus. In a few weeks, we're going to see um, those being recognized as church members. So about over the last month or so, we had a new members class, and they went through the class. This past two weeks, they're having their member interviews. And then in two more weeks, we're going to watch them be recognized before the church as members. I want to read a few uh, lines from our Riverstone Church Covenant that we have signed as members, if you're a member, and that these members will be signing. We will seek to love one another sacrificially, to walk together in brotherly love, to build one another up in the faith, to pray for one another, to care for, love, and watch over one another, to admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. We will pray for unity, avoid gossip, seek peace within our congregation. We will contribute as the Lord gives occasion, generously, cheerfully, and regularly to support of the ministry the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through the nations. We will seek to fulfill the mission of the church to live out our faith with care for one another, compassion for the poor, justice for the oppressed, exercising our spiritual gifts in service, and bearing witness to the gospel in word and deed. Why do we have these things in our church covenant? Because based on this morning's passage, we believe this is the biblical role of believers in the church, to give ourselves to God, to present ourselves to him as living sacrifices as we serve one another in love 
through the use of our spiritual gifts. So what is the role of church members? To grow together in Christ as we give ourselves to God through the use of our spiritual gifts in love. That's what we're here. That is our role as believers in the church of Jesus Christ. Now, some of this may hit hard. There's a lot of things we're being called to do. And it's important to remember how Paul starts our passage this morning. I appeal to you by the mercies of God. We're called to do these things because God has saved us. We stand righteous before him because Jesus died for our sins and he rose again and through faith in him, we are his. We stand secure. We have assurance of pardon, forgiveness, and eternal life. And we need to know that and stand on that as we go about fulfilling our role in the church. So how can we do this? How can we go about doing this? Well, one, I would encourage you again, go to Pastor Brian's class in a few weeks. Learn what your spiritual gift is. Learn how you can exercise it in the church. There's many areas where we can do this. Be involved in loving and serving each other. Get to know one another. Seek to find ways to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ. Join a small group if you're not in one. We have small groups, not because it's just the right way to do church. We have them because we believe it's a means by which we can fulfill our role in serving one another and becoming more like Jesus, where we teach the word to one another, where we find ways to serve each other in our small groups. Many of us are doing this. Praise God. Let us continue to serve one another by serving the Lord, fulfilling our role in his church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. Lord, we love you. You love us. You say to every believer here, you are needed. You belong. You are gifted by my spirit to serve. Let us hear that this morning. For those who might think they have nothing to offer, let them not believe that lie, but be transformed by the renewing of their minds. Let us as a church believe that, that you would root out all, all proud thinking where we think too highly of ourselves, that you would root out all lowly thinking, but we would think rightly because you tell us you designed your body in such a way that you use us as you make us more like your son Jesus. Lord, we long to become more like you. Continue your work in us as you have promised. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you, keep you, and cause his face to shine upon you. Thank you.